invite you to open up your Bibles to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. It's good to see everyone out this morning. If you're visiting with us, we're delighted that you're here. You're our honored guest. Just ask that uh, you stick around for a few minutes after the services that we might get to know you, be able to talk with you um, a little bit. It's just good to see all those who are usually here, all the members of Lakeside. Um, good to uh, be able to hear Brother Kent get up and lead us in songs again. It's been quite some time, and I'm sure that not too long after this we'll be uh, able to hear him start teaching Bible classes again. So just it is good to be able to have uh, both of them back, and um, especially just hearing him lead songs again. It's, it's, uh, it's a good thing, and it's an encouraging thing. Like I said, if you want to go ahead and turn to John chapter 10, um, this is the, the main the thematic passage that I want to look at throughout this morning as we study in God's Word for a few moments. There, there are um, moments where we come to a, a specific passage in Scripture and we just have a hard time getting, I think, the full impact. It is not because the Scriptures are unclear. It's not because the Scriptures, that God's Word is not powerful enough or, or um, good enough for us to understand, but really because I think our culture is just so different today than it used to be in the first century. Um, and, you know, you think about just the, the common jobs that people had back then in comparison today. There are not many shepherds today. Um, there are not many really there are not really many farmers now, I know that there are some people that, that are farmers today but not nearly as much it's not nearly as heavily relied upon um, as it used to be I mean that was just a common way of life um, in the first century um, and, and especially you know e even when you look at the history of our culture and our country while people used to rely on that very heavily it still wasn't nearly as heavily as it was back then now, um, one thing that I think we actually have a better um, notion about is just the quarantining because you look at the law of Moses and people used to quarantine when they got sick and when they got leprosy and things like that. That is actually something that we come to in Scripture and now after the past few years we're like, oh, hey, I know something about that uh, with all the lockdowns and things like that. But, but very often you come to a passage and there's just a disconnect. Simply because we, we, need to, we need to take more time in trying to make ourselves understand or trying to understand uh, the culture of the first century. Trying to understand what imagery that Jesus is using, what God is using. And so this morning's text is, I think, one of those instances. What does it mean when Christ says, I am the good shepherd? That is an, that is an important statement to say the least. When Jesus, God manifested in the flesh, says, I am something we need to understand. And we want to know what the application is supposed to be on our lives when he does say something like that. And so what I want to do this morning is just see what kind of impact this is supposed to have on us, on our lives. And I do think that there's a lot of application that we're expected by God to make with this. And so just for the next few moments, I want to look at what kind of shepherd Jesus says he is when he says, I am the good shepherd. Just a few things here. And first of all, if you pick up in John chapter 10, in verse 11, this is just the thematic verse here. In verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd or the, sh the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who is not the owner of the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. So what's one of the things that makes Jesus 
the good shepherd. And I would just know, he doesn't just say a good shepherd, he says the good shepherd. What is one of the things? Well, very simply, he cares about his sheep. Now, I'm not just saying he cares for his sheep. We'll talk about that more in just a moment. But he cares about them. He finds value in them. He does the very opposite of the hired hand. And why is that? Because to the hired hand, it do, they don't matter. They have no importance in his life. And why? Because they're not his sheep. But to the shepherd, they have much value. Why? Because they are his. They, he owns them. And so they have great value. You look at a passage like Luke chapter 15, and we won't go there, but in Luke chapter 15, in verses 4 through 7, here's one of three parables that Jesus gives talking about lost things. The parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and then the parable of the prodigal son, as we talked about. Um, and really, it sh it, maybe it would more accurately be named the parable of the lost son, um, because there's a, a little bit more happening there. But regardless, that whole chapter has to do with lost things. And in the very first parable, Jesus gives the lost sheep. And what does the shepherd do when one of the 99 uh, is lost? I'll tell you what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, well, 99 out of 100 is pretty good. I mean, if I got a 99 out of 100 on a test in high school, I, I, that's the best I'd ever done. <laughs> I actually remember one time I got that grade, and I, you know, we weren't supposed to take pictures of tests or anything because the teachers were afraid that we were going to send it to other students. And, and, but I, I begged the teacher. I said, please, this cannot wait. I need to show my, I need to send a picture of the score to my dad. You can even look over my shoulder. You can make sure I'm not taking any answers. He said, okay, okay. And it was kind of funny because he really was interested to see what my dad responded with. And the text I got back was just, dude, with an exclamation point. You got to know my dad to fully understand that. But, but I was proud of that. And why was it? Because it was 99 out of 100. That's pretty good. But the shepherd doesn't think that. What does the shepherd think? One is lost. And he leaves the 99 to go and find the one that's lost. Now, that's not to minimize the importance. I like the way another uh, teacher said this. That's not to minimize the importance of the 99, but it's to emphasize the importance and significance of each one. And I thought that that was rather good. You know, there are some people even here that have some cattle. They own some livestock. And, and, and even just in our culture, we don't like missing out on anything that we've spent money on or invested in. It, 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 there was a there was a, a brother who had ha, had many cattle and or, uh, one of the the one of the livestock that he had it had gotten in some kind of bramble or something and its eye had been so messed up it just looked ugly and it just wasn't going to sell well in the market and so what did he do he didn't just say well we'll just let it sit here until it dies no he killed it. He killed the, fat, the, the because it was uh, quite meaty, he killed it and he gave some of the meat to his friends and to his family because he was going to get every cent that he spent on that. If he wasn't going to be able to resell it, then what he was going to do was eat it and he was going to provide for his family and those that were around him and those that he loved. We don't like missing out on anything that we've invested on. And it really doesn't matter whether it's cattle or anything else. We want to get every single cent back and hopefully we want it with interest. And we, that makes sense to us. And so uh, I think we can kind of at least understand, even if there is some disconnect here, we can understand 99 out, of, uh, 99 out of 100, we want all 100 because each sheep is important. We want all of that profit back. And, and I would just add to that, when you think about the true significance, the true value of the shepherd, because remember, it's a parable. This is supposed to illustrate something to us. Maybe what would get us even closer to understanding this is the kind of care that the shepherd has for his sheep. What if this was 
one of your kids. Now, we're not going to say 99 kids. I don't even know if that's possible. But let's say you have, you know, five kids. And you go out to Target or Walmart, whatever, and one day, and, and, you know, at one point you see, you count one, two, three, four. Where's the fifth one? Is the parent going to look at that situation and say, well, I got 99% of it. We lost one kid, but, hey, my husband or my wife will understand after that when I get home. Oh, that, that's too bad. We lost one. I guess we can always make another. No, that's not how we act. Why? Because that's our child. That's, that's mine. And that has too much significance for me to just say, oh, I have most of them. No, we want 100% because they matter. That's the kind of value they have to us. We are not happy if we lose one. We want all of them. So, so he cares about his sheep. And in this kind of a way, not just in terms of profit, but because they have value to them. They matter to him. Well, he also works diligently for them. Because he cares about them, he works for them very diligently. Um, over in Matthew chapter 18, <clears throat> Matthew chapter 18, this is kind of a, a parallel account maybe to um, Luke chapter 15. Not necessarily a parallel account, but a supplementary account as he gives um, a very similar story when it comes to the sheep. But I want to look at the language that he uses. When you think about how the shepherd works, it says in verse 12 of Matthew chapter 18, What do you think? If any man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go and search for the one that is straying? If it turns out that he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine which have not gone astray. So it, is, uh, so it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones perish. And so just adding on to some of the things that we've already discussed from Luke chapter 15 and, 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 and from John chapter 10, he works diligently for them, and it's not just because this is... He, he doesn't treat it like this is just a day job. <laughs> he doesn't say, well... You know, I, I already have fulfilled a lot of these other responsibilities throughout the day, so I'm really not going to worry about any more responsibilities. You know, he doesn't, when, when one of the 99 is lost, someone go, comes up and tells him, oh, you're missing one. He doesn't say, well, I'm off the clock now. At 9.01, you can call me, and, and then we'll get to looking for the sheep. No, right now. And it's immediate. It's urgent. And he doesn't say, oh, you know what, we'll just, we'll, we'll let it wander a little bit further and we'll let it wander throughout the cold night. I'll come back tomorrow when I'm on the clock because this really doesn't matter that much to me. No, this isn't just a day job. This is, as we were just talking about, they have value and they matter to him. Now, what's interesting is <clears throat> the good shepherd has this kind of mindset, even though the sheep often make it harder than it needs to be. I was watching a video um, on Facebook, and maybe this is a good example we could have used in the Bible class of how silly videos can catch your attention and get you off off track uh, from from what you should be doing. But it just it caught my attention because I thought it was hilarious. There's this sheep that had been stuck in this I mean this big trench at the end of a farm, and uh, the the people worked hard to get this sheep out. It was moving around. It was scared. It was terrified. And they finally got it out of the trench, and that sheep was ecstatic. You know what it did? It started running and leaping for joy, and then it ran right back into the trench. And I thought, especially I, had, I was studying for this lesson, and I thought, wow, what a better illustration to use than that. Because it's, it's not just sheep that do that, that get easily lost. We tend to do that. We are supposed to be God's sheep. We are supposed to be his flock. But how many of us so easily go astray? 
And we'll talk more about that in just a moment. But, but when you think about after putting that much time, that much energy into finally getting it freed from the trench and it just to go right back in, how many of us would work this hard for someone you knew would jump right back into the trench, would jump right back into the hole? Would you want to work as hard as the good shepherd? Well, he says, no, I, I'm going to be there. Even when it's only been two seconds since I literally just had to pull them out. He's going to be there. Because they have this kind of significance to him. And, and just, just like with the video, there's no guarantee that they won't get lost again. I love passages like Matthew chapter 9, where it, you get to see not just the actions of Jesus, not just his habits, but it tells you his feelings, his emotions. In Matthew chapter 9, in verse 35, Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them. Why? Because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Often, when people just make another mistake, we look at them and we say, well, of course, of course, it happened again. And when they call you and they ask for your help, you say, fine, I'll come, I'll show up, I'll fix this one more time. That's usually how we respond. But with the good shepherd, there's compassion. There's grace. It's not fine. It's, I'll be there. And even to his own even to his own detriment at times. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 25, it says that all of us like sheep have gone astray. Every single one of us have done this exact thing. But the good shepherd is always there, ready to get us back out of that trench, out of that hole. Though the sheep consistently make it unnecessarily harder than it needs to be, he never says, I've had it, I have no more compassion for them. Rather, with Jesus, the good shepherd, his compassion and his love, in fact, made him work even harder. And so we need to keep that in mind. When you think about the good shepherd, why does this matter so much? Because he works hard for us. He has worked too hard for us for us to take that for granted. Well, not only this, but he unites the sheep. Now, what do I mean by that? Back over in John chapter 10, John chapter 10 in verse 16, as he's giving uh, more explanation of how he is the good shepherd. In verse 16 of John chapter 10, he says, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. Just note that he says into one flock. Not into one flock with subgroups. He says one flock. Now clearly, there's the, in the immediate context, there's this notion of the Jews and the Gentiles. And the Jews were going to have to understand that the Gentiles also were going to have salvation, just like them. And we've seen that throughout many of the epistles of, of Paul especially. He talks about this a lot because there was a lot of contention between the Jews and the Gentiles. But, but how does he do this? How does he bring this reconciliation? How does he unite both, both groups that have such a stark contrast between them? He does it through his voice. In verse 26 of John chapter 10, it says, But you do not believe, as he's speaking to some of those that were, uh, did not like the teaching that he was giving, and they just really wanted to, uh, they, they really wanted to just oppose him still. He says, But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. 
And he talks about this even earlier on in John chapter 10 about the fact that the sheep know his voice and he knows his sheep. This isn't the first time. But he unites the sheep through that voice, through the voice of the shepherd. And this unity is only preserved, I think is a good word, through that one voice of that one shepherd. Going over to Ephesians chapter 4, we just looked at this in uh, last Wednesday, this past Wednesday in the Bible class, Ephesians chapter 4. And you probably don't even have to turn here. You know the passage so well. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. He says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit. There is, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. One. <laughs> And this is really just adding on to what Jesus has said in John chapter 10. There is one shepherd to that one flock. Now, Jew or Gentile, they had to understand that this was supposed to not only create, but preserve, maintain unity. So let me just ask, if there is disunity, if there is discord, there's strife, continual conflict, can we say that that one voice of the good shepherd is being listened to? Or on the other hand, is it being ignored? I don't think that we can say if there is continual disunity that that voice is being listened to. We obviously can't. If it continues, either one or all parties are guilty of ignoring that voice. And we need to be persistent about that fact. Can you have factions or sides in this flock, in this one flock? No, it's one. Can you have uh, uh, in this one flock people saying, well, this is my people and all the rest, th th those people. No, this is one flock. It's his flock. In, in this one flock, can you have some that are giving tolerance for just a few people while everyone else, no tolerance whatsoever in this one flock? No, that's not how this works. That really sounds more like partiality. This is the good shepherds. This is Jesus' flock. And we need to make sure that we are listening to his instruction and, and making sure that, that we are truly listening to his voice because it does show. Well, all of that, just to end with, and you probably knew where this was going, he sacrifices for his sheep. Now, I'm not saying this is the last point, but, but in his characteristics, what is this good shepherd like? He sacrifices for them. We already read about this in verses 11 through 13, but picking up in verse 17 of John chapter 10. It says, for this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my father. And just remember in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. Why? Because I laid, he lays down his life for the sheep. What a beautiful description of Jesus. And what an accurate description of Jesus. Because there's many ways that he was going to sacrifice himself. You know, men did not become shepherds to die for the sheep. But Jesus did. Again, going back to some of the earlier illustrations, generally we're, what we want is to profit from the sheep. We want to be provided for because of our work with the sheep. But Jesus he became that shepherd. He was that shepherd specifically to die for a sheep. That's striking, especially when you think about how so easily and so frequently 
They got lost. And I love the words that he uses this, on my own initiative. This is the thing about sacrifice. It doesn't have to be made. You don't have to sacrifice anything. Jesus, God, does not have to do anything. He doesn't have to sacrifice himself. But he said, that's what I'm going to do. Why? Because th these are my sheep. That's beautiful. We have a hard enough time doing this when it doesn't require our lives. We have a hard enough time doing this when it just requires our time. We have a hard enough time doing this when it just requires our patience, as we were talking about in Ephesians chapter 4. Oh, it's just too much for me. Can't sacrifice it. I can't sacrifice that. These people are just too annoying. Oh, really? Wow. You must be going through so, so much worse than the Lord did? We can, we can barely do this when Jesus says, you need to be willing to be defrauded by your brother. When he says that you need to be willing to turn the other cheek. When he says, don't retaliate, but show love. When he says, you show initiative and you go make things right with your brother. No, 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 that's, that's not a sacrifice I'm willing to make. That's, that's the sacrifice the good shepherd made. And he paid the ultimate sacrifice with his own life because of the sheep. Why does he do all this again? Because he loves them. All of this, all this comes down to that very first point. Because he loves them and he wants them to be a part of his one flock. Now, with all that being said, just a, just a couple things here. If Jesus is the good sheep, the good shepherd, why is this so important to us? Well, first of all, if there is only one flock which will not be devoured by the wolves, and that flock belongs to Jesus, that means we need to be a part of that flock. We can't be a part of any other group. We can't be a part of any other organization. We must be a part of this flock to be spared. And so the question is, are you a part of this flock today? Have you heard his voice? Have you acted on his voice, on his word, on his will? Because if not, you won't be saved by the shepherd. No, you're going to be devoured by the savage wolves. And just like we talked about last week, they are a coming. And they may already be here. So you need to be cautious that you are a part of this one flock and continue, continually listen to that voice because we can get lost. So are we continually listening to that voice? Not only that, but in following the good shepherd, we're supposed to take on his characteristics. I think we're supposed to look more like him. Over in 1 John chapter 3, 1 John chapter 3, in verse 16, look at what it says. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. So what are we supposed to do? And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. What does he say? Very similar language to John chapter 10. He laid down his life. So what are we supposed to do? You're supposed to try and do something similar. You're supposed to reflect that kind of willingness in your life. Do we really think that just because we're the sheep and he's the good shepherd, that that means that Jesus does not want us to put on his characteristics and his qualities? No. He wants us to reflect his goodness. He wants us to reflect his love, his patience. He wants us to look more like him because we're listening to his voice, the voice of the good shepherd. Over in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 20. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 20. We already referenced this verse in verse 20, uh, 24. 
and 25. But it says in 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 20, For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. And so all throughout 1 Peter, he's talking about the suffering that comes from being a Christian. And then he starts talking about who else has done this. In verse 21, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example to follow his steps, Follow in his steps. I don't know how I could get more clear than that. In verse 22, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. What does he expect? He expects us to follow in his steps. Literally what Peter says. And so we need to make sure we are trying to look more like him, putting on those qualities. Now, I think that, I think everyone here agrees with that. Correct? I mean, shake your head this way. Everyone agrees with that. We need to follow in his footsteps. We need to look more like the good shepherd. We need to make sure we're listening to his voice. Now, all of that being said, I want to end with one last application. Certain men are to follow the good shepherd in an even more involved manner. There are some men who are to put on, who are to have these qualities already in place so that way they can serve as shepherds. And this is the, the words that are used throughout the New Testament. Pastor, that is a shepherd. Still in 1 Peter chapter 5, he talks about this chief shepherd in verse 4. But look at what he's talking about before he gets to verse 4. In verse 1 of 1 Peter chapter 5, he says, Therefore I exhort the elders among you, that is the shepherds, as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Why is this so important? Well, because very frankly, and we even talked about this in the Bible class, there are men here who want to someday serve as shepherds or as elders, as the text may say. And the rest of us, even if we're not going to be ever be able to serve in that kind of capacity, the rest of us are to be building up men to fill that role. At least, this should be the case. And so as we're striving to follow the good shepherd in this endeavor... I think often when we start talking about elders or shepherds, pastors, people tend to start the conversation in the wrong place. We tend to start the conversation with, let's appoint people right now. No consideration of what kind of men they are. No consideration of what we need to be looking like. No consideration of how we are supposed to be encouraging one another to, to build men up in this capacity. Instead of starting there, we need to really begin with, let's look at the chief shepherd first. And let's try to emulate ourselves after that. I want to look to him first and foremost. And I want, to, I want to follow him, look more like him, and I want to help others look more like him. This is where it must start. We always start with such a technical conversation. It always starts, it always comes back to what does God look like? What is his example that he gives? And are we following it? Are others following it? So as we're trying to figure out men who have the qualities God says that they must have to lead, the question is, the question we must ask is, do they look like the good shepherd? Are they even trying to, to begin with? 
Do they care for the sheep the way the chief shepherd cares? Does he see that kind of value there? Do, do, do they view each sheep the way Christ does? Or are they men that are just satisfied with 99 of 100? That's pretty good. That's not emulating the good shepherd. We're going to see the exact same value in the sheep, just like the good shepherd, if we're really trying to emulate him. Are they willing to work diligently and hard like the good shepherd? Now, let me, let me just ask, does this kind of work ethic with the flock... With God's flock, does it sound like, well, I'm off the clock right now. You're going to have to call me later. I've finally gotten off work. The NCAA tournament's just started. No way am I getting out of this couch. No, 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 no. Or do they work around the clock for his flock? When something comes up, all right, let's go figure out what's going on. If there's something going on with a brother or a sister, all right, let's go meet. Let's go figure out what's happening. Not to just berate them, but to say, hey, we've noticed something. Or maybe you've even called us for help. What can we do? How are we going to be able to fix this? If there's sin involved, let's deal with it. If there's just weakness involved, let's strengthen you. If we are working hard like the Good Shepherd, that's the kind of work ethic we need to have. Not just, well, on my time, we're going to get this done. <laughs> no, you have a greater responsibility. You're on God's time. Really, we're all on God's time. Not only that, but are they trying to preserve and strengthen the unity of the flock just like the good shepherd? And what does that look like? Well, we're not going to let conflicts fester. We're going to deal with them. If it is a, if it is a matter of, of just petty grievances, we are going to fix it. If there are silly accusations, silly arguments made about another brother, we're not going to entertain that. We're going to... We're going to strengthen them. We're going to encourage them. We're going to build them up. I, we keep saying this over and over again, but this is what we're supposed to be doing. This is what shepherds are supposed to be doing. And, and let me just add to this, as a side point, when you think about the qualities, or we like to say the qualifications of, of a shepherd, we need to understand these are not things that someone is currently working on, but the people that are qualified to be a shepherd are the people who already have these things in place in their lives. Not just, uh, we'll put him in the office so that way, you know, he can start to get to understand how he is. To no, he needs to already be a teacher. We're going to put him in this position so that way he stops uh, being so impatient. No, he already is patient. These qualities are already in place. And we need to understand that. And so, are we striving to look like the good shepherd? Not just saying, well, I'll get to that eventually. That's not the kind of man that can serve in that capacity. Are they willing to sacrifice for his flock when he is hurt? Is he just going to let it out? Is he just going to lash out with his emotions on the rest of the flock? No. He's not going to retaliate. He's going to be willing to be defrauded. Is he going to be very stingy with his time or is he going to be willing to give up time for the work and the betterment of this group? He's not just willing to sacrifice when he knows it will look good for him, but also when no one else is around to see it, no one, is, no one else is around to hear it, he's doing what is supposed to be done. He's doing what he can to build up the flock. Let me just say, these are the kind of men we want to be shepherds of the local congregation. Men who are not struggling to look like the good shepherd, but already have these qualities in place. So where we must begin is, are you doing that? Man or not? Are you striving to look more like our good shepherd, more like Jesus? 
Let me just say, there's a lot of work that we have before us, isn't there? But that's okay. We don't, have to, we don't have to despair because, in fact, that's good for us. Every time we look to Christ, our vigor and our motivation should be renewed or at least ignited when we look at his example. And so we don't have to fret when there is work that we have to do. So men, maybe you are a Christian. Are you working towards this goal? Individually. And are you working towards this goal with your brethren here in this room? Or are you looking at some brethren and clearly showing yourself to not be someone who could serve in that kind of capacity because you don't have that same care? Women, are you? We understand that the, the, the qualifications that are given specifically to a shepherd is that he must be a man, he must be a husband of one wife, he must have faithful children. We understand that. And so maybe you will never be able to be qualified to serve as a shepherd. But guess what you all are qualified to do? Look more like Jesus and encourage the brethren. If there is a mistake, can you not build them up? Each one of us has a job here. Have you been fulfilling your end of the bargain? Because we're supposed to be. No matter who you are, let's do the job that we have before us. And maybe you just need help from the brethren here. Let, let them help you. Have that kind of humility to say, I do need assistance. We can build each other up. We should be building each other up. But finally, maybe you are not a Christian. Just remember what we started with. There is only one flock that will be saved from the savage devouring of the wolves. Translation. If you're not part of his flock, the good shepherd's flock, then you are a part of the devil's, pure and simple. And he is gladly taking every one of those sheep in his flock to hell. Do you want to be a part of the good shepherd's flock? Do you, have you heard his voice? Are you willing to act on it? And let me say, if you are, you can enjoy his pastures, which are much better, far greater. And so, do you want to become a Christian and join that flock this morning? If you believe that he is the Christ, if you believe that he is that good shepherd, if you are willing to listen to his voice, repent of the things that he says you need to be doing away with in your life, never go back to that again. Make that pledge, that, that confession, that public confession that you are making him your king, that you want to be a part of that flock. You can be baptized into his death to rise in newness of life. If you are subject to the invitation of Christ by any means, please let your need be made known as we stand and as we sing.